start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Welcome our newest sponsor to the podcast, IssuesWithCredit.com. IssuesWithCredit.com is a community of people who are together that want to talk to you about credit. If you're having issues with credit, go to IssuesWithCredit.com. Right now, they're running a one-time sale. If you type in discount code BETA, that's B as in Bravo, E as in Echo, T as in Tom, A as in Alpha, it will give you a 50% discount off of whatever listed prices are there. Issueswithcredit.com, a 13th hour solution venture. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida, here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. How are you doing today? My microphone stand over here is making noise. Sorry about that. Anyway, so how are you guys doing? How's everything going? I hope you're having a fantastic time. This is this time of the year where it starts getting so lovely here in the glorious state of Florida. Oh, yes, that's where I'm at right now at this particular moment as I'm doing this recording. But that's not important. Are things going the way that you're wanting them to? Because that's the important part. I always look at this that, you know, when I start off with these conversations, it's so awkward because number one, I'm talking to myself. And number two, then I'm planning on you to listen to this. But that's the funny part. But let me not bore you with that information. That's always what I call the quote unquote behind the scenes information. Well, today we have an interesting conversation. I have a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Christian Harris, and he's from Slip Safety Services, and they're based out of the greater London United Kingdom area. So Christian and his organization, they're Slip Safety Specialists, and they go into organization to lower potential risk and try to see if they can reduce accidents in regards of giving people information about floor safety. It's a really interesting thing that they do there. And I want you to listen to this conversation here today on what Christian has to say about what they do with their service, Slip Safety Services. So enjoy the interview here today on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, 
One broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. So I guess I'll have to ask you starting off, why did you want to come on to this disaster that we call Safety FM? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've heard very good things. Um, Mike Saddam actually recommended um, I I get in touch with you guys and see whether there might be any interest in in doing a show. Um, Mike and I have have got a show booked in and we had a very good conversation. But that was, uh, as you'll know, probably from his show, it's kind of more around human behavior rather than specifically around safety. Mm -hmm. And... uh, we, we, yes, we had a very good conversation um, together, um, but I think then there's maybe some opportunity uh, to a kind of a similar audience on the same network to get into maybe a bit more of the nitty gritty around the health and safety parts of what we do. Well, you've been, do, you've, been doing, you've been doing, you've been doing, um, what slip safety services here for about the last year. What got you involved on that? Was there a story that got you to that perspective or how did it come about? Well, I've been in the kind of slip safety arena for coming up to 10 years now. Uh, So I was before that a business consultant, sort of general business consultant and looking at, um, you know, banks and private equity companies and advising them on um, whether they should invest in different businesses and helping smaller businesses to grow and things like that. But I kind of wanted to get my hands uh, a bit dirty, should we say, in a real business. (laughs) Well, Um, that's that's one heck of a flip. Let's just be realistic. You're you're going from helping businesses and hey let's let's grow and build a portfolio here to all of a sudden hey let's do safety where there's a lot of cost normally involved in it that's that's different yeah absolutely i mean i i've got a uh, an interesting background before that because i was involved in well i'm still kind of a bit involved in um, online poker and i'm quite a keen <laughs> poker player so that's all about you know odds mm-hmm. and probabilities and making the right decision based on the information available to you and and so on so to some extent there's a kind of an overlap there with safety Mm, okay. Um, but also, when I was kind of leaving that previous uh, job, I, as I say, I wanted to kind of get, get my hands dirty a bit. But also, my boss at the time suggested that I do a list of 10 kind of things I wanted to get out of a, of a role or a career or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, don't write down you want to earn uh, $10 million a year or anything silly like that, but do sort of, you know, attainable, realistic things. And uh, one of the things on that list was actually I wanted to do something that would make a big difference in the world in a kind of altruistic sense. Uh, And so when I kind of became aware of the uh, issues around um, people slipping, tripping and falling and the fact that it has been an ongoing issue and it never seems to particularly improve. I mean, there's those statistics in the US, for example, which suggest if anything, it's proportionally getting worse. you know, there, there's a, an opportunity to achieve some of the other things I wanted to do, um, but also to achieve that kind of key thing that I wanted, which was to um, try and produce something positive in the world. So as you're going down this path, was there something that happened in your life that caused you to want to do this? Or was it just, this is the opportunity that I see, or we'll say, quote unquote, niche, as they say in the consulting word, yeah. world, in regards to this is what you want to move forward? It was more of the latter, to be honest. I mean, I was looking at other things as well um, that were, you know, not in the safety world, but um, I was kind of really drawn to this. And I think uh, if you ask most people, they've got a story either personal to themselves or somebody that's quite close to them or, you know, certainly um, within, um, say, a second degree connection and using the LinkedIn parlance, um, but, but somebody they'll know of uh, that's had 
one of these um, accidents, whether it's led to a, uh, an injury or not. So it does kind of bring it home. I mean, before Christmas, a very good friend of mine um, slipped over and she broke her ankle in three places. Um, and she was actually 32 weeks pregnant at the time. So she had a really horrendous time um, because of a, a slip in a, in a playground where she was with her son, um, who's kind of uh, four. Uh, and um, so, yeah, you know, that, that really brought it all really in terms of somebody very close to me that I know really well and, you know, really suffered as a result of uh, what I would say would be a very much avoidable accident. I, I think um, the vast, vast, vast majority of these accidents are avoidable. So on this particular one, being as it's so close to the chest here, how did, did you do an investigation or do research afterwards and say, this is how you came to the determination that it was avoidable? Um, no, I haven't done any formal investigation. Uh, I, she, um, she obviously reached out to me um, uh, quite soon afterwards and said, oh, what had happened and what did I think and, and so on. Um, so I pointed her in the direction of some um, lawyers initially because obviously <laughs> you know, she, she's, she's entitled to... Um, to, to seek some compensation, but where this uh, actually happened, it's quite local to to us, um, and there are um, there are reports of it being a fairly frequent thing that happens in that particular um, playground. So uh, people have fallen there before. Oh, so definitely, and, so definitely pattern recognition on there. So as yeah. so as you start going through this, you decide that this is going to be the one that you go with. So this is close to the chest. You decide that you're going to go into the slip and fall industry. What kind of research do you do prior to getting into it that you go, this is for sure the one I want to do? Well, I mean, over in here in the UK, there's there's um, the HSE, which is like the government executive um, health and safety body, publish statistics every year um, in terms of workplace accidents and other kinds of accidents. And if you look at the um, the statistics, both there and all sorts of others that I've come across, whether it be from insurers to um, cleaning industry or, or whatever you know they all say um slips trips and falls is is pretty much universally the biggest category of accident so in the uk um for example uh, we have over three hundred thousand admissions to hospital every year um which are caused by slips and then more from from trips and falls and one and a half million hospital um <clears throat> overnight stays as well uh, obviously, where you know where you guys are in the states, the, the numbers are a lot bigger because you've got a much bigger population. But that's the biggest cause of people going into the emergency room here. Is, well, um, I live in Florida, so there's a lot of weird things that happen here, and I don't mean that in a bad <laughs> way. Just kind of a due to the age demographic in the area, mm. take it however you want. So yeah, no, exactly. Um, so um, and yeah, if you look at the, you know the insurance world, will publish stuff as well. And it's kind of been, I mean, I feel as if the awareness has risen in the last um, coming on for a decade that I've been involved, but there's still a long way to go. I mean, we do a lot of um, talks to insurance companies or health and safety um, professionals or um, cleaning and maintenance professionals or whatever. And if you show them a picture of a pendulum test, which is what the HSC and the law um, requires you to use here to do um, slip assessment of um, friction levels of floors and you ask them you know how many how many people know what that is it's only ever five percent or ten percent of people that actually recognize it so there's a still a long way to go in terms of awareness um, but if you look at the overall um, accident statistics 
over the last say 30 years you know uh, certainly in the UK where which is where I'm most familiar you know that overall accents are going down and down and down but this category kind of perpetuates and, and there's a few reasons for that so let's say for instance hypothetically I'm having slip trip and fall issues inside of my organization and I'm interested in doing business with your organization how do you how do they number one normally get in contact with you and then number two what does the process look like so we have a quite a good network of partnerships with um, insurers and brokers and floor suppliers and FM companies and managing agents and, and so on and so forth. So um, it, it could be uh, that somebody has been recommended to speak to me uh, and my business through one of those partners that we have, or it could be, you know, a bit of Google searching. So we do a lot of a lot of content stuff. So we, we tend to rank fairly fairly well on, on Google um, because of the content stuff we're doing, um, or, or, or you know any other sort of organic way of finding out. Um, quite active on, on LinkedIn, for example, do content most days. So that that does generate inquiries for us. Uh, in terms of the process, what we try and get people to do first is a kind of a digital diagnostic that we've developed, which is um, called a slip safety scorecard. So that basically is a kind of 40-question um, test or, or survey, for want of a better term. And it's just a series of kind of yes-no questions. Um, but that's focused in really around the six factors or the six sources of why somebody slips. And we give them um, a personalized report based on the answers they give, um, which are specific to their um, business, their, their building or whatever it might be. And, uh, and then they get a score, they get to benchmark themselves against best practice and they get kind of advice on each of the six areas on where they can improve. And that's a good way of kind of starting the journey because it starts to get them to think about it kind of holistically uh, and a bit more depth. Um, one of the big challenges, I think, is that people are aware of the problem of people falling over, but they tend to have a kind of a helicopter view of things. So they, they would say, you know, I would hear all the time comments like, well, I put a yellow floor sign out, what more could I do? Or the floor was wet, it was bound to be slippery. Or, you know, all sorts of kind of um, sweeping generalizations like that. So the diagnostic tool we've developed helps people to start to try and get under the skin of this a little bit more into a bit more depth uh, and then kind of clarify their thinking. So that's the, that's the first step that we, um, that we try and get people to go on to. And so, uh, and then, so yeah. normally from that particular point on, do you have it pretty much set up through an insurance company slash affiliate that, that that's how they're getting the sourcing to you? Or do you have people out of the ordinary call you directly and go because of your content that they either found on Google or the LinkedIn's of the world, as you were saying earlier, and that's how they contact you? Is there kind of like an intermediary or they just go directly to the source? We... Um we we like it if uh, we like it if people just come come randomly directly to us, and we always ask the question, well, "How did you hear about us?" And it, and it really varies, so, um, so which is good. But uh, we, we we've certainly set up kind of strategically to work with um, the partners we've got, particularly in the insurance space, because if we can work alongside the insurer, then there are all sorts of exciting things like you know part funding for work or um, premium rebates and so on and so forth. So. If we can have a kind of a joined up approach on a, a project like this, then it typically has a good financial benefit to the client as well as, you know, enabling us to gather more data and, and, and stuff. So normally during the process, where does the, where do you see your ideal client? What is your ideal client when they come in? Would this be in construction phase? Will this be post-accident? 
or when you visualize your perfect avatar, how does that look? The ideal client would, wouldn't be post-accident um, because we want people to be proactive, not reactive, although realistically, it does tend to be an accident. But you're, in sa- you're in safety. You know how this goes the majority yeah. <laughs> of the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so um, yeah, the ideal client for us, I suppose, would be would be somebody that um, yeah is looking to try and understand the the subject a bit more uh, and and recognizes that they've got a risk and, and potentially a problem um, and uh, has you know a keenness to do something to try and uh, improve the situation. Um, so quite often when people are, are in that kind of um, trouble mode and they're reacting to stuff, you know, they'll, they might um, they might say, oh, you know, we'll spend money on this, we'll do this, we'll do that, um, but actually not really perhaps solve the fundamental issues. Um, so we like to really look at things, if we can, in a, in a thorough way, in a uh, pragmatic way, um, but uh, try to really get to the root cause issues and help people to kind of make a fundamental change to the way they're operating and therefore uh, the risk and therefore the amount of people getting hurt and therefore the cost that they're spending. So it could be any sector um, and it could be in any in any phase in terms of, um, yeah, it's great to get involved pre-construction because if you can put the right floor surface in to start with, then you've got a good chance of keeping it that way. If you put, um, you know, an ice skating rink onto a swimming pool side, uh, <laughs> you're going to have problems. Um, so it's good to uh, to try and design out issues from the start. But most of the time, we're dealing with existing floors in existing buildings that have that have been down for, you know, years uh, normally. Um, and it could be that there's been an ongoing issue, or it could be that something's changed. You know, maybe the cleaning regime or uh, the floor has just worn away over over years, which does obviously happen. Um, but yeah, in terms of sectors, it could it could be any sector. I mean, we we do a lot of work in hospitality and leisure, so people with um, swimming pools, leisure centres, um, hotel bathrooms, both in terms of the floor, but also the uh, bathtubs and the shower trays, uh, kitchens, and then we do a fair bit of work in sort of manufacturing facilities as well. Uh, where um, there's some quite different challenges, but equally some interesting control measures. You know, footwear, for example, is a great control measure in a factory, but you can't control the footwear that people are wearing in a Burger King if they're coming to buy a burger, for example. Right. So, um, you know, we look at it uh, in, in, in a fair bit of depth. The process typically is the same, but the, the answers are going to vary by, by sector. And that's why we, we do tend to do more work in some sectors than others. So right now, if you were on the exclusive list, you got the information letting you know that we were running a contest for the exclusive list members only. And what did we give away? What we gave away was exactly one ad for the middle of the podcast for someone to be able to promote whatever item they wanted. So right now, I have the opportunity of referencing who actually won the contest. And the winner is Isaac Robinson. You are the winner of the contest. We'll be getting in contact with you shortly to see what exactly you want to promote here on Safety FM. 
Thanks for being a listener. And if you're interested in joining our exclusive list, come to safetyfm.com. Go right there to that first page, enter your name and your email address, and that'll put you directly onto our exclusive list. Thank you for being a listener and continue enjoying Safety FM at safetyfm.com, safetyfm.live, or any of the apps that are available. And that can be found at that can be found at the App Store, the Google Play Store, and the Amazon Alexa skills. And we are back with Christian Harris here on Safety FM. So right now, if you're going through this whole process, and so we start doing business together, and all of a sudden, boom, your organization comes in. Who is your point of contact normally? Because I'm assuming this is not going to be the safety manager. Is this like kind of like the building maintenance person, or is this kind of uh, somebody else? Yeah, we have to kind of touch on a lot of different people because if you look at the control measures that you need to really solve this problem properly, it includes uh, the design, it includes the the cleaning and maintenance, it obviously includes the safety, it includes risk management or insurance or, or whoever. And so therefore, sometimes in these kind of bigger organizations who work in, in silos, they don't often talk to each other or communicate very well. Uh, that can be a bit of a challenge. T- typically, we get in touch with the health and safety manager first um, because they have the biggest identified need, um, but they often don't have the budget to be able to do things um, or the authority necessarily to change things. So we often will kind of go in there to the health and safety manager first, try and help them to uh, understand the issues themselves so they can almost uh, coach their colleagues through the process a little bit and have a bit more um, depth behind what they're saying, uh, give them some ammunition in terms of testing and scientific kind of quantification of the floor surfaces or the footwear or whatever it might be. Uh, but then we normally end up having to speak with somebody in either insurance or finance or facilities or whatever it might be, depending on the exact recommendations we make. Uh, we always try to get involved with the insurance buyer in some way because, as I said earlier, if we can get the insurance company along for the journey, then that can really pay dividends both in terms of reducing the initial cost for the client but also capturing data so that over time, um, you know, if you can show through through data analysis um, that your accident rates are, are falling, uh, you can demonstrate that to your insurer, your premiums are going to uh, come down as well. Well, as you always know, when you start doing any kind of investment into a group in regards of trying to get some of these things um, put into the system, what's going to end up taking place is somebody's going to ask automatically, what's the return on investment? And it's kind of difficult to prove the accident that never happens because you were able to make it not occur. How often often do you have that conversation? Well, we pretty much always have to have the return investment conversation in one way or another. I think people are increasingly clued up and, and understanding of the overall cost of accidents now. So I think a few years ago, I can think of one of the big cleaning and facilities management companies, for example, that we work with. And a few years ago, as the head of safety and risk said to me only a week or so ago, we never would have got any traction with them because they were just solely focused on you know, this costs X, this costs Y, which one's cheaper. They're not looking at things in a, in a joined up way. Uh, whereas now they are looking at a kind of a broad level um, at risk management and they're seeing the examples of where if they can 
have good practice or, or, or the reverse, that's having a material effect on their P&L. So he gave me a story uh, of one uh, regional division, I think, of the business. And he was at a uh, kind of an end of year um, management meeting and the divisional director stood up and sort of was very um, passionately talking about all the successes they'd had this year uh, with contract wins and um, brand building and so on and so forth and profits and, and all that. Um, and my contact basically stood up and said, well, that's that's fantastic. And I don't want to diminish any of those achievements. However, had your staff not turned up to work at all this year, we would have made money, more money than what you did actually make by operating the business because we had so many claims. But actually the cost of the claims, which is a hidden cost as far as this divisional director is concerned, because um, he doesn't see that in his P&L. You know, his P&L showed a profit, and that, but actually, if you overlay the insurance costs, they were making a loss. So um, I think people are, are kind of getting more and more cognizant of that and really um, understanding that better. I think the role of the risk manager or risk director in a, bus- in a bigger business is helping to, to draw that um, together at, at the kind of board level. Whereas before, I think people would look at their P&L, they'd look at insurance um, as, a, as a line item. They wouldn't think about any of these hidden costs, and I mean we've we've done some research recently, uh, which suggests that the the true cost of an accident is about ten to twelve times the actual insurance claim cost. Uh, this was some research we did with um, very targeted on health and safety professionals in in the UK. Um, so you know your your ten thousand pound claim is actually costing the business maybe one hundred twenty thousand pounds, but that's kind of hidden. Um, so you don't need many of those accidents to wipe out a lot of profit. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. A lot of times people don't take into effect the, the items that you're referencing. They don't reference depending on how the organization is structured, where on the back end, you could be losing X, Y, and Z. What it's going to cost regards of, because most companies, and I'm just saying, depending on what format of safety they're using, is we have to retrain the whole organization because we had X problem. So if you yeah. do that and you put that into the cost, and I'm saying most organizations, not that I agree with that that's the passion or the, the pattern in regards of doing it, but that's where a lot of those costs come about. And then you have to start factoring into it's an emotional event, especially if you had something that occurred. So for the next six weeks, most organizations, that will be the focus. This is going to be the focus across the board. And, you know, we call it flavor of the week. And that's what they're going to be focusing on. And we're going to retrain. We're going to bring this in. We're going to bring that in. But how do you make it? built into the culture is really what it comes down to. And of course, that's a whole other conversation, but it becomes one of those things that's so interesting on how do we get from reactionary to actually doing it prior to, but it sounds like you're bringing a lot of information to that C-level suite that they normally don't think about in the first place. Yeah, we try to do, I mean, we try to um, engage with all the levels of the organization um, because in my experience, if you speak to a cleaner, for example, uh, they they are often a little bit undervalued, but they are probably seen um, in, in maybe a, a negative light in some ways. But actually, they play quite a fundamental role, both in terms of safety, but also um, customer experience, uh, you know, two key drivers of profitability, if you look at things in the round. So we try to connect with people on all levels of, of the organization. And I mean, I think that the um, at the C level, it's kind of more... Um, around return on investment and figures and finances and stuff. But actually, uh, lower down, it, it, something a bit more emotive uh, can, can be quite effective. Um, I mean, I was at a site today and we 
looked at a few kitchens. This is a kind of a theme park, and the uh, slip resistance of the floors there varied quite significantly, even though they had the same flooring in place, and, and therefore their cleaning regime is 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 clearly different in different kitchens. And um, the guy, the safety manager, was kind of getting a bit frustrated and why can't we do this properly and so on. And I said, well, I think, you know, to me, it's about the fact that people aren't realising, they're, they're looking at it as just cleaning and they're probably seeing it as not very important. Whereas actually, if you could explain to them that by cleaning worse, they're actually putting their colleagues who are their friends and themselves at more risk. Whereas if they clean better, they're putting their, themselves and their colleagues at less risk that might be enough to kind of get them to think a bit more carefully about it and try and do it a bit more thoroughly. So do you actually go in and really present this in regards to where you can assist the organization helping change on the way that their mindset is? Yeah, that's part of what we do. Um, I mean, a lot of what we do is is kind of practical stuff. So, um, and again, that's where I think some of the issues around this category of accident occur because people will take a quite a theoretical um, perspective of it and um, think about, you know, signage and there's, there's, there's tons of training out there. You know, we'll, we'll train you on how to reduce your slip strips and falls. What we actually do is get down in the nitty gritty, actually go in, visit sites, um, talk to the people that are out there on the shop floor, uh, looking after the floors, cleaning the floors, whatever. Um, and then try to make um, kind of step changes in really how their floors are performing um, through treating them or cleaning them better or whatever, and then try and make that stick through maintenance and monitoring. And that's got a kind of secondary benefit because if you can uh, prove that you're monitoring things and evidence it, then in the event of a, of a claim that does uh, come through, you've got a, quite a good defensibility perspective. Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's easy. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not in a, I'm not in a, um, a mansion in the Bahamas um, flying in my private jet, so, <laughs> so it can't be as easy as that. But I think um, I think yeah, knowing about how to engage with different people in different ways within I'm sure this is this is um, uh, you know quite clear to, to, to many listeners but you've got to be able to do that differently to a to a ceo than to a, um, a cleaner or to a hotel manager or to a you know a restaurant manager or whatever but try and get the key messages out kind of succinctly uh, and i think everybody is is as i said earlier everybody's attuned to this kind of harm piece you know nobody want everybody wants to go home at the end of the day's work or uh, at the end of a visit to a shopping mall or a restaurant or whatever uh, whether they're working or um or going there on recreation they want to be able to go home at the end of the day safely so you know that will always get um, a response from people um, if you can overlay the financial stuff and actually show that it can be a positive for your financial position not, not just a cost um then you know that that theoretically should be a bit of a no-brainer Right. And you have to understand, of course, most organizations are always going to look at safety in regards to something that's cost because it's not generating revenue. But that's yeah. one of those things on depending on what kind of aspect your organization is and how far down the path they are inside of their safety journey, as I like to call it. Because yeah. some organizations I mean, will look at value, look at a value. Some of them don't. It just really depends on where you're at. But I think what you're, yeah. what you're bringing to the forefront in the UK is so much good information in regards of 
hey, let's get you, let's get in at the planning stages and let's, let's see what we can implement. And this is what we're seeing across the industries and how we can change. I mean, it's just so smart on the way that you're doing it. Yeah. And we try to bring it home to organizations around that profitability point. So take, uh, there's a big supermarket here called Tesco, who are a multinational and that, you know, they're massive, but their business, just like a Walmart or, or a Coles in Australia or whoever, is, is quite a low margin business. And if you take the average cost of a, a slip claim in the UK, which is more or less £10,000, um, and you look at uh, if you were in the position of being Tesco with your margin, how many bunches of bananas do you need to sell in order to make £10,000 of profit? Have you got any idea? No clue whatsoever. <laughs> Um, a quarter of a million bunches of bananas. Oh, wow. So if you can frame it in that way, um, then that will get attention to you know, the right sorts of people, potentially, or at least you've got a chance then of, you know, of having a conversation. If I, if I, if I could say to the MD of Tesco, um, you know, I've got a way of uh, ensuring you sell a quarter of a million more bunches of bananas every month, I suspect he'd be very interested. Well, you know, somebody quite senior would be interested in that. Um, so therefore, why would they not be interested in trying to have the same benefits to their bottom line, um, but by doing smarter safety? Well, it's exactly like you said. It's all about the presentation and how it's presented, depending on who inside of the organization you're speaking with. But that's a great aspect on the way of doing it, because you're going to all of a sudden get that trigger event where they're going to be like, OK, I'm definitely interested in what you have to say next. Yeah, and I st- and then it's all about proving it, and you know all the fun stuff. But that's um, but the battle is getting getting through the door sometimes uh, to to have those conversations with with the right kinds of people. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, you can you can sometimes end up in a meeting with with somebody quite senior, and they're sort of saying, "Why are we so? Why am I spending my time in a meeting talking about how to clean a floor?" Um, <laughs> then you have to sort of remind them that. There's a bigger there's a bigger story here, which which um, yeah is is going to be a positive for them. Um, one of one of the other things I think that's a challenge here is is kind of some of these uh, listed companies as well, where the um, the executives are, um, you know, given their incentives based on the sales figures, typically the top line stuff, um, not necessarily um, things um, you know further down the uh, the P and L. So um, that's where I think I, I, I looked into something once, which said that um, if if you can show somebody how to um, sell more, then your service is worth X or a multiple of X um, on the on the value. Whereas if you're saving them money, it's a multiple of Y, and it's all kind of different based on the types of um, benefits you can bring. Right. It's always it's always different depending on the industry and what you're how you're presenting it and what you're bringing them and the, the aspect on how the person who's obtaining the information is looking at it at the time. Yeah. So let me ask yeah, you a question. Yeah. Do you have any tie-ins or companies that you interact with here in for the U.S. markets or is everything inside of the U.K. or anybody who's doing kind of side by side what you're doing in the U.K. but in the U.S.? I am aware of some companies in the US. Um, I've connected with a few people on, on LinkedIn, for example, uh, and quite a few of the insurance companies that we partner with here would, would operate in the US as well. Um, I couldn't, uh, in good consciousness, say, you know, you must speak to X company because um, they're really great because I, I, I really don't know that much about them yet. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know there are there are companies who have... Um, 
a kind of a broadly similar model to to us um, that operates in the U.S. Okay, question. Um, so if the yeah. listeners want more information about you, where could they go and get some more info? So the best place to go is uh, probably the website, which is slipsafety.co.uk. Uh, and there they can find out um, a bit more about who we are, what we do. They can take the scorecard that we mentioned, which is applicable to anybody, um, and kind of get started down the, um, the rabbit hole of, uh, of um, slip safety. Um, I'm also very active on LinkedIn, so you could um, do a search for me there. You and I are connected, Jay, so if people are connected to you, they would see me as a second-degree connection. Um, we've got a Twitter as well, which is slip underscore underscore safety. Uh, we had to have two underscores, uh, regrettably, but uh, <laughs> it, it works okay. It's a sign just in case that you can slip. That's what you're trying to really emphasize that, I understand. Yeah, exactly. It's It's one of these... Um, it's one of these frustrating things, I guess, when you're uh, setting up a, a business and thinking of a brand name and stuff nowadays that you have all these different platforms that you kind of want to be known on or, or um, visible on and um, having something that can give you consistency across all the platforms can be quite tricky. Um, Absolutely. I, I can yeah. tell you 100%. I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've done the best uh, we've done the best that we can. Um, I mean, LinkedIn would be a great place for people to um, access what we're doing because I pretty much do some content every day on LinkedIn, um, whether that's you know a photograph of something, just a quick observation, or a video, or uh, something a bit more detailed. Uh, and then the the website has content more like on a weekly basis, which is a bit more in depth. So you know you might be looking at a thousand word article uh, every week on the website, and then on on LinkedIn it's kind of you know a couple of hundred words here and. 30 words there and a few images here and a couple of videos there. But it's keeping it top of mind, which is the important part when you're trying to get your messaging out. So I think that's a great aspect. And even if it's a picture or a few words, it's still getting the message out in regards. This needs to be important and focused on. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of it is just, you know, an image with something like that um, a quarter of a million bunches of bananas um, thing I mentioned earlier or, or, or um, something, you know, around the, hospital statistics so another one i like to mention is that you're kind of almost 70 times more likely to be uh, in hospital um or have an overnight stay in hospital due to a, a slip than you are due to being an occupant in a car that has an accident which is kind of staggering if you think about it Absolutely. but it just shows you the, the 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 scale of the problem um but i think I don't know. It'd be interesting to get your view as to what the situation is in, in the US. But I think here there's a bit of a perception issue still, whereby because people aren't typically dying from this accident or typically getting severely, severely hurt, you know, we don't we, we don't really want people getting hurt. So let's try and do something about it. Absolutely. Well, Christian, I appreciate you coming on here today on Safety FM. Pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, 
recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com. Are you tired of not being able to reach the people inside of your organization? What if there's a better approach? What if you could contact them in a click of a button? Here at Safety FM, we can assist you reach your team via podcast. How about setting up a private podcast for just you and your team members? We will cover topics that are important to you and your company. Visit safetyfm.com. That's safetyfm.com and click on services for more information about your own private podcast. Safety FM, a safety focused moment venture. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40, 40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.